The Money Show. Shapeshifters. The chief executive of the South African Health Products Regulator, Boitumelo Simete Makotlela, is with us this evening. Boitumelo, welcome to The Money Show. You've had a huge baptism of fire. You get appointed as chief executive of the medicines regulator. There's a medicines regulator already in trouble, the Medicines Control Council. So government says, we know what, we need a new authority. So they create the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority. They give it to you to run. And a couple of months later, COVID-19 hits. I mean, do you think you did something wrong in a previous life or something to be landed with this particular, with these particular problems? Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Bruce, for, for having me. And it, it's really been, um, yeah, such a, a, a tough, um, a complex, but yet, um, you know, I must say quite an insightful year for me. I think it's a year that, um, you know, for us as a regulator, we've really gotten to the crux, really, of, of some of our fundamental challenges. And I think COVID has highlighted some of those, but also has also highlighted some of the things that we do well, right? So, you know, you know how it is, right? New CEO, you've got your first 100-day plan, um, a plan on how you're going to engage your staff, engage external stakeholders, Um and all of that, in essence, just got out the window. You know, uh, we were hit by COVID and one had to respond um, to that from an operational perspective, but also from having to support the country um, and the world, in essence, as, as, as we were tackling, um, you know, this pandemic. So just quickly outline the problems to me, because by the time you came into office, you were trying to clear a backlog inherited from the Medicines Control Council. What has fundamentally changed between the time of the Medicines Control Council and the South Africa Health Products Regulatory Authority? Do you have different rules? Do you have less onerous uh, controls on you? What, what has changed? Uh, I mean, um, I'll talk to, I guess, three fundamental um, shifts. The first is that um, as SAPRA, we're now a Schedule 3A public entity um, as per the PMFA. And so what that means is, um, unlike the MCC, which was a directorate within the Department of Health, we now have autonomy. We can also imagine that as a regulator, I mean, there are instances where we do have to regulate the department themselves. And so it, it was important that that line of autonomy is is drawn quite strongly so that we have that autonomy and there's definitely some benefits that it brings from an operational perspective from being able to retain some of our surplus from the um you know income that we make etc the second fundamental shift um is that we now um are quite intentional about building a lot of the assessor and evaluator capacity internally the previous MCC relied heavily on external evaluators. So these are people who are contracted to support the, regula- the regulator. So you can imagine in a contracted role, um, you know, their challenges in terms of the SLAs and keeping to the timeframes, et cetera. So very much acknowledging the challenges that we had around long regulatory timeframes, we, we, we realized that one of the constraints is that that capacity is not available internally. And we wanted to be in a position also where we can go and, um, you know, get grant funding, for example, as an entity to, to, to fast track um, some of the processes. Lastly, from, from a, a regulatory um, framework 
uh, perspective as SAPRA, we're now able to rely on work done by other, you know, stringent regulators, regulators with more capacity than we have. So if the FDA, for example, makes a decision on a certain product, we're able to look at their assessment and make, we'll still make our own decision, but we can rely on the work that they've mm. done. And this is a, it's, it's a fundamental shift for us, but also it's a shift that many other um, regulators who are not as large and not as mature as, as some of the more established ones like the FDA, like um, the MHRA in the UK, etc. We're now has, all shifting. Has that ha- enabled you to clear some of the backlog? Because there were 16,000 registration applications. I mean, that's yes. a huge, huge failure on behalf of the Medicines Control Council, which you're now trying to address. But have you been able to, to start clearing that backlog as a result of this different process? Sure. No, we have indeed. I mean, we've cleared close to 85% of that. Sure. Um, and the remaining, I mean, 15% is where the hard work is, right? Because sure. these are the ones that, in some instances, they need the full review. But we've leveraged this mechanism. It's definitely still has its, um, we still have our challenges. There's still quite a bit to optimize. You can imagine, with a new way of doing things, there's a lot you need to do around change management. I mean, you can imagine, you know, our staff complement that have been with the regulator for many years, now having to, you know, morph from doing things that they used to do for many years to doing things fundamentally different. So we've got a big change management program that we we have implemented, but we've definitely seen the benefits of these re-engineered processes that we've implemented. And your job is also to ensure that we get vaccines and we get vaccines that are safe, vaccines that are effective and vaccines that are able to be distributed across the across the country. That's been a bit of a distraction, I would guess, in the midst of all the other stuff that you're trying to do. No, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't call it a distraction per se. Um, you know, I think it's... Um, it, it's it's the most important thing that you've got to do. I get it. But I'm, I'm being slightly facetious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely taken our focus, you know, my focus, um, you know, particularly from, you know, uh, uh, repositioning this organization and, and all the plans we have to putting some of those on hold and saying we're not dedicating a lot of our efforts into the COVID response. I mean, we had to, you know, have our teams, some of them even redirected to supporting um, COVID-19 initiatives. And so it it has indeed, to some extent, delayed some of our longer term projects. But as I've said, there's been some really fantastic benefits with, with this whole COVID experience. We're going to pick up on that in just a moment with Portumelo Semete Makotlela, who is the chief executive of the South African Health Products Regulator, the old Medicines Control Council, um, clearing 85% of the 16,000 registration applications in a time of COVID, in a time of remote work, and in order to get um, the, the vaccines regulated and approved so that they can get applied. How much of a problem is a delay in regulating these vaccines? We'll pick up on that with uh, Boyd Muller in a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Talking to the CEO of the South African Health Products Regulator, where do we stand right now in terms of regulated vaccines? What is the, the, the lay of the land, Boyd Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. So, I mean, um, so as we said, we've got Pfizer that's been authorized under um, Section 21, which is more emergency use. Um, And then we also then have the Janssen vaccine, 
that also has then a conditional market authorization. If you remember, beginning of the year, we were quite excited. We had AstraZeneca vaccine authorized under emergency use. And a week later, we received the data around its reduced efficacy against the B1351 strain. So in essence, we've got the two vaccines that are currently um, authorized. We are at advanced stages of review of the Sinovac um, vaccine, as well as the Sputnik um, vaccine. We haven't received an, an application for Sinopharm, and I expect that that's going to be a question that's coming because this is a vaccine that's been authorized by the World Health Organization. So as soon as we receive the application for that, we will expedite it and we'll probably then apply reliance again with the um, WHO uh, process. I mean, for, for many people waiting for their vaccines and looking at the application of vaccines, and although people who've gone to the vaccines and the report backs are incredible, that's very um, efficient and it's very good, but we're just not getting enough vaccine into enough arms fast enough as a country as we, you know, we worry about rising cases. Can as you as a regulator speed the process up in any further than you already are? Um, not much further, really. I mean, we've, we've um, you know, expedited. I mean, typically we would take a lot longer um, to evaluate a vaccine. So we definitely have. I mean, if I consider the um, Pfizer vaccine, we received that early in the year and already we had made a decision um, a few months later. So definitely expedited processes. I think the one thing that we um, that does take time is you know, the constant back and forth with the applicants, depending on the quality of the submission. So when it comes to requirements for safety, quality and efficacy, you know, we, we as a regulator, many others, we don't, we, we don't compromise there. So we need to ensure that while a lot of these are expedited, we do, they do meet the minimum requirements of safety, quality and efficacy. And we've had a lot of engagements, even with the ones that we've reviewed, but we've expedited our processes, as I said, you know, we've, we've redirected our resources to ensure that we work with speed. And the risk of getting it wrong, of course, is devastating. It wouldn't be only devastating for people who received something that was not fit for human use, but it would also undermine the entire uh, nature of vaccines. It would admire the entire, uh, undermine the entire credibility of the vaccine process too. Exactly. And, and this is where, again, you know, the public confidence in the regulator is quite critical. Um, and that's why we continue to remain stringent and we make our decisions purely based on science. And if the science um, does not give us confidence that this is a, you know, we, it's a positive outcome that we should issue, we do not do that because of the importance of, of ensuring that we are stringent um, in our decisions and that the public can trust, um, you know, the, the decisions by the regulator. What we found, obviously, with COVID is you know, with new information being um, made available literally on a daily basis, we are having to ensure that we stay up, we keep abreast with developments. Um, at the moment, we're largely focused on any side effects, um, you know, that we could see whether these are associated to the vaccine or not, and whether these are, are serious side effects, we need to follow those up. So that's a critical part. And the minute we find a side effect, that is of concern that we should follow up, we will then have to, as a regulator, make a decision on how to proceed with that. Because okay. the safety of the public is paramount to us.
Talk to me about ivermectin. There is a whole group of people who are eating grass and <laughs> producing milk. No, I mean, ivermectin um, is a bovine medication. The original application was for, for parasites and things. And there is a large grouping of people, some in the medical profession, who say, look, there's no cure for COVID-19. Um, we can alleviate symptoms and treat and intubate and do lots of very active stuff. And we've become much better at doing it but ivermectin has actually anecdotally been seen to be fairly effective in 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 treating patients who have got COVID-19. What has been the holdback in terms of regulating application for human use? Sure and I think that the point you make around anecdotal evidence is, is really at the crux of this right because for us as a regulator to be able to make a decision we need that to be generated from properly designed um, clinical trials that are properly powered. And so that means that they must have the minimum required numbers um, of participants, the the endpoints, i.e. what are they aiming to conclude um, with their analysis that they're doing, it's very clearly articulated. So while there's been many clinical trials, I think there's over 20 clinical trials that have taken place across the world. These have gaps. We've looked at all of them. They have gaps. They're not properly powered. Um, the endpoints are not very clear. The controls that they're using, you know, so there's a lot of gaps. So we do acknowledge that there is some positive trend that is seen with ivermectin. However, there are gaps with these studies. And so our position as a regulator has been that, you know, because we are in this position where there's insufficient evidence to say it works, but also there is insufficient evidence to say it does not work. So you have this clinical equipoise. And based on that, we've said, for those who want to access this product, understand all the risks. And if you want to access it, you can access it through what we call a compassionate access program, wherein you have to apply to Supra and say, I'd like to use it you know, for Bruce, who is a patient. Here are they presenting. I want to provide it to them at these dosages and I will be monitoring. Is there no? Don't you have a ticking time bomb in your body at that point called COVID nineteen? I mean, how quickly can you turn those applications around? This is emergency stuff because by the time somebody goes to their doctor presenting with serious symptoms, um, it either goes one way or the other. There isn't time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, we've as, 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 as you know, this is again one of the areas where we've had to put resources, additional resources. Um, And so lately, we're making decisions within a period of a day, two days at the most. In the beginning, we were inundated with applications, um, primarily around the second wave, and it did take a lot longer. Um, But now we've got our systems in place, we've got our electronic application process in place, and we're now making these decisions a lot quicker. And that's what this Section 21 process is about, Mm. right? It, It enables the regulator to make decisions quite quick than what it would typically do. So, and again, the decision that we've taken in our view on ivermectin has been shared by many other regulators, by the WHO, locally, by the Ministerial Advisory Committee, by the National Essential Medicines um, List Committee. So it is shared by very strong and credible scientific community and regulatory communities. And we'll continue to monitor the data. And as it comes through and we get positive data, we will review our decision. Boitomelo, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Boitomelo Semete Makokotela is the chief executive of the South African Health Products Regulator on The Money Show.